0: Everybody, thank you for attending the Mic Drop Market Spaces. This spaces is brought to you by Mentor Q. Discover how Mentor Q is revolutionizing the way option traders trade and risk manage via alternate option data. Are you an options trader looking to get ahead of the market? Mentor Q is here to transform your trading experience with our innovative alternative data and option trading models. MentorQ solutions offer gamma and volatility levels on stocks, ETFs, futures, and crypto, cutting-edge predictive models for options trading, expert insights and analysis for informed decision-making with a community of over 15,000 professional traders. You can find them at www.mentorq.com or at their X account at Mentor Q Pro. And just a reminder before we begin, this material is presented solely for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be construed as a recommendation, solicitation, or an offer to buy or sell long or short any securities, commodities, or any related financial instruments. Please contact a licensed professional before making any investment or trading decisions. And with the formalities out of the way, I would love to introduce our guest today. We have Alani Henry, who is head of CRE and TREP Advisory Services, senior vice president. With a background spanning 20 years in the commercial real estate industry, he's charged with enhancing TREP's client relationships across all business lines and product verticals. Alani also is the co-host of a weekly CRE show with more than 700,000 listeners the TREP Wire podcast. Bonnie leads a global team of more than 20 product, product management and development professionals working to assist clients with accomplishing their strategic goals through a variety of TREP products, customized advisory services, and solutions. Mr. Henry, professional experience includes... Conventional multifamily property management, development, commercial, and residential leasing, brokerage, and appraisal. He earned a master's degree of science in real estate with a concentration in sustainability from University of Texas at Arlington, where he also received a graduate certificate in real estate development. He's also an adjunct faculty member at Texas Tech. Next, we have Daniel McNamara founder of Popo Capital. Popo was founded in 2021 by Daniel. Prior to founding Popo, Mr. McNamara was a CMBS portfolio manager for nine years at MP Securitized Credit Fund and launched CMBX Regional Mall Short Fund in 2020. This experience led Dan to launch Fobo Capital. He has been investing in the fixed income markets with focus on structured products and CMBS for 20 years. uh, He invests in CMBX, CMBS (laughs) based on bottom-up approach with a heavy emphasis on underwriting while weighing macroeconomic factors. This approach has allowed his team to profit from opportunities on both the long and short side of the market. He is a graduate from Amherst College. And with that, um, since neither one of you have been on this podcast before, so how we do this is two rounds of questions and then a final question. and then a final question round, which is the same question for you both. But please, you know, feel free to if you have a comment on any on either one of your comments, please feel free. We can make this as conversational as you want. And with that, we will get started. I'll start with Lonnie. So <laughs> I'm going to cut right to the chase. Is you know is the commercial real estate market on the verge of collapsing? We've got U.S. vacancy rates at 19.6%, like we have not seen since the 1980s. And we have $2.2 trillion in CRE debt that comes due by 2028. So how dire is this situation?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on, Tracy. I'm really excited to be here. And, and to answer your question, I think it's important to realize that headlines move faster than reality. And if you believed everything that was written today, we would be having this session at the local bar and, um, and not from our offices. And so I don't think it's as dire today, at least as you know, you might think just based off of the headlines. Sure. There's a lot of ingredients that are currently in play that if everything comes together, we could see a significant, you know, downturn disruption, you know, GFC style type of, of CRE marketplace. But I think today, Um, we're not quite there yet. I mean, there are definitely some systemic challenges in the office sector. There are some other property sectors that have some potential for, uh, you know, pain um, in in the medium term. But on the flip side, there's a lot of sectors that are continuously outperforming the market. Industrial properties, as an example, have been, you know, on fire post-pandemic. And while we're seeing Amazon and a few others pull back, the sector overall is still super healthy hotels have come back really strong post-COVID, multifamily, there's some signs of distress in certain markets and certain properties, Um, you know, some of the value-add reposition uh, type of properties, but generally speaking, that sector is still really strong. So, you know, I'm not unrealistic and too optimistic, um, but at the same time, I don't think we're in a position where you know, everyone should should freak out and feel like commercial real estate's on the verge of of total collapse. I think the market has proven that this asset class is resilient and uh, there'll be bumps along the way. But generally speaking, I think we're we're set up for potentially a better 24 than we saw in 2023.
0: And how much is this if we're talking it just on uh, the uh, the office market, right? How much is this due to work from home? I know we had like a Ah, uh, pandemic high of forty percent, forty-seven percent, and now it's around twenty-five percent uh, rates. But you know, is this all still hungover from the pandemic, and do you see this turning around, or do you see this kind of leveling off at twenty-five percent?
1: Yeah, I think the office sector is the the one that's getting the most attention, and rightfully so. We've had a paradigm shift in how people view their work-life balance. Um, the importance people play on being in a physical office relative to their job performance. And we've proven through the pandemic that people can be just as, su- as successful, companies can be just as profitable with remote workforces as they they previously were within office staff. So there's definitely been a shift in just how people view the office sector. The office sector broadly is also um, a sector where we haven't had a lot of buildings torn down over the years. So we have a lot of Functionally obsolete office buildings that just don't serve a viable purpose in today's market, um, with with the way work is conducted, and so there's definitely some some longer term problems with the office sector that's going to take time to run its course. Um, so I think that there's there's should be concern and real concern around the office sector, and we started to see some of this play out in the form of. Um, bottom basement type of sales prices in San Francisco, LA, Chicago, a couple of the other you know, kind of gateway markets where lenders have had to take the properties back. They've sold them in a significant discount to their previous trade. So that's not something that's going to go away. We're not anywhere close to hitting the bottom in that regard across the country. You have markets like Minneapolis and several others that have millions of square feet of sublease availability. All of that at some point has to work its way through the system and we're just very very early in that process so i would say you know i think there's legitimate concern on the office i think offices that are functionally obsolete are going to have a really hard time competing in the marketplace Um, the challenge for offices maybe that's more difficult than say retail which went through a similar downsizing over the last five years or so is there were better adaptive reuse options for retail properties. So if you had a big box tenant in a shopping mall, go dark as an example, you could subdivide the space, you could retenant the property, um, and you could actually turn that into a more profitable um, part of your, your operations. In the office sector, there's not too many viable alternative uses. There's a lot of headlines around conversion to multifamily, but that's really cost prohibitive. In my opinion, it's a very small percentage of properties that would actually be candidates for that. And even in those instances, they're going to require some form of public-private partnership, waiving of building permit fees, incentives, tax abatements, et cetera. And I don't think a lot of governments at this point, given the fact that tax revenues are down and property assessments are down, are super inclined to, to work with developers in a way that I think they should be. Um, so I think you know broadly, the office sector definitely has challenges. To kind of find some silver lining, though, The delinquency rate for office properties in December sat at about 5.8%. So, you know, mathematically, about 94% of the office buildings are still making their mortgage payment every month. So it's not, as I mentioned on the the intro, it's not so bad that, um, you know, every office you drive past is is no longer making their mortgage payment. It's It's a relatively small percentage. Uh, But it's still sizable and it will still have repercussions downstream across the universe of, uh, of CRE.
0: And then switching gears here kind of a little bit. Can you uh, wanna uh, talk a little bit about bank er, the recent bank earnings? You know, are we still seeing some pressure? What does this mean for the real estate markets because we have seen some bad loans seemingly to be mounting at several large banks including Bank of America and Wells Fargo. So, should we do we need to be concerned about the banking sector with this? Yeah,
1: yes, I think that's a it's a great question and I think You know, it kind of goes back to my thought of the headlines move faster than than reality. Yes, there's a lot of distress that's pent up in the system. Yes, there are a lot of loans that are currently underwater. Yes, there are a lot of properties that are not viable. Yes, banks are currently holding certain loans at a value that if they mark to market would would show the asset to be underwater and potentially have some some broader implications for the banking system. All of those things are in play. you know, the reality is the regulators at this point have been told to, or have told banks or, or advise banks to try to work with borrowers to the best of their ability. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, there's real people behind these assets. There's real capital raised from, you know, high net worth investors, pension funds, retirement systems, mom and pops that are supporting these businesses and, and these properties. And so, you know, it's one of those things where The perception of distress is one thing, and it it provides the opportunity for the market to play itself out and people to buy buildings at a reset basis and allow for revitalization of the asset and, and strengthening of the marketplace. Systemic distress is something that's completely different, and we saw the impacts of that in the great financial crisis where liquidity effectively dried up. There was no financing available. The entire market came to a screeching halt, and that had you know, three, four, five years worth of downturn that had to play out. So I think at this point, there's been government intervention, there's been other, you know, uh, credit facilities and other things created to try to help the banking sector persevere through this downturn. At least to this point, it appears that it's working. Um, whether that continues over the next couple of years as these distressed assets actually have to get marked to market and force sales occur is something that we could debate. But I think at this point, you know, there should definitely be people should be cognizant of the fact that there is a lot of pent up distress. So I wouldn't suggest that things are, you know, fine. We had three bank failures and everything is stable now. I still think there's some, some distress in the system, but I also think that the relevant stakeholders are aware of that. And they've at least to this point taken action to help prevent something more systemic from taking place.
0: Do you think, I mean, the the Fed said that they're likely to end the bank funding program in March that was born last last spring from the banking crisis. Do you think this will be a problem?
1: It has the potential to. I mean, the reality is, I mean, those are like the, the unknown um, components is we don't really know until the system has to flush those things out, like how impactful that will be. Um, so I think it's, you know, we're in a very interesting position where the Federal Reserve had taken unprecedented action relative to the federal funds rate where they increased the rate 550 basis points over about a 15 month window um, those impacts haven't been fully felt through the system at this point um, they set up the uh, the funding um, you know facility if if that goes away and it tapers off like sure there's going to be some challenges that come with that there are going to be some institutions that are stressed there's there's going to be the potential for more bank failures um, I think that's a reality at this point though like to try to you know pontificate how widespread that is or how detrimental it is to the overall system I think is a little premature but you know no one's out of the woods at this point I mean I think the big four banks even with their most recent earnings you've seen that there's downward pressure on them um, and and we haven't even really fully felt the distress so for smaller institutions that maybe are overweight on commercial real estate loans, or they have a larger portion of their uh, book of business in the commercial real estate sector, um, it could definitely spell some really tough times for them over the next, uh, call it 12 to 18 months.
0: Excellent, thank you so much. And we will come back to you. I wanna move over to Daniel. Um uh, let, well, first, did you have any comments on Lonnie? What Lonnie had? If not, I'll go on to move on to your question.
2: <laughs> no, I mean I, I agree with everything he's saying. I think that the one thing you touched on there at the end, which I think is very important, and I think be you know a, a large pocket of distress is the regional banks, um, just given the fact that they are so over or overweight commercial real estate from the from the lending side. So you know, I, I think that that you know twenty we clearly haven't seen the end of that distress and, and, you know, just three regional banks going down is probably not the end of that, but um, you know, I think it's a good thing too. And, and, you know, I think as you know, this debt has become more expensive and more interesting um, to certain other investor bases um, you know, I think it's going to provide a real opportunity for the next few years as regional banks probably step back um, because they've been overexposed. So, um, you know, I just, I think that's going to be a really interesting space uh, going forward.
0: All right. With that said, um, so the commercial real estate actually globally has been under intense pressure as interest rates have risen over the past couple of years. And the United States with the largest commercial property market in the world, prices have tumbled about 11% since the Federal Reserve started raising rates in March of 2022. Um, In fact, prices in the U.S. commercial real estate have plummeted more in the present monetary tightening cycle more than any other previous episode. So you know what are what have been the major catalysts for this, and is it all can it all just be attributed to rising rates? Well,
2: I think it depends on the sector we're talking about. I mean, clearly, um, rising interest rates have hurt certain sectors more than others. I mean, multifamily comes to mind. Um, the commercial real, uh, the CMBS market as a whole has something called CRE CLOs. Um, it's grown rapidly post COVID, um, exploded in issuance. Um, And these are different because they're floating rate loans and they're transitional loans for the most part or bridge loans. So, you know, your LTVs are instead of being 50 or 60 percent LTV, um, you know, in reality, they're probably closer to 70 or 80 percent. So I think from a rate perspective that, you know, or that market in general has been hammered by rates because you had coupons that three or 4% that, you know, exploded to the high single digits very quickly. Um, And these are short term loans, usually two or three year loans with some extension options. So, um, you know, that's an area where I think, you know, while we do have more multi-family supply coming on in 2024, I think interest rates have kind of driven um, cap rates obviously higher and and values down. So um, on the other hand, you know, a larger portion of the CMBS market is fixed rate um and you know i think the stresses in office that Lonnie was talking about earlier i think that's less rate sensitive and more just a fundamental shift um you know i'm a big believer in hybrid work um i think it's here to stay i don't think a recession is going to get anybody or, or, or workers back to the office quick uh, quicker and you know i think it's just something that we need to deal with um you know Lonnie touched on the fact that kind of these older uh, class b and c buildings um, are going to struggle. And I, I don't, you know, I think we're going to have to figure out what to do with them. And obviously, redevelopment to multifamily is probably a very small percentage of that. So, um, you know, I, the commercial real estate market broadly, I mean, given all the sectors, um, it, it's fascinating now because it's really turned into a credit pickers market from the sense of, you know, you're really going to do your homework um, versus probably the, before COVID for, you know, the, the 10 years prior to COVID. It was very much a beta trade where you know you bought something you levered it up and it went up over a longer term. now it's there are going to be assets that will be impaired and there are going to be assets that will be sold you know at bargain prices and people can make a lot of money so um you know, that's what gets us excited today is that you know we actually have to be thoughtful about risk but there is a tremendous amount of opportunity out there to get long a lot of these assets at, at great levels
0: and if the fed well the market thinks the fed's going to lower rates six times this year. I don't think so. But that said, if the Fed does start uh, lowering rates, how much will it help the current situation?
2: I think on the margin, you know, it, it's definitely helpful. Um, but I, I'm not a big believer and I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that they're going to uh, you know, lower rates by 150 basis points this year. Um, in reality, I think you'll see a few cuts later on in the year, but if we get a, you know if the Fed is at you know 150 basis points lower at some point this year I don't think it's what the commercial real estate market wants because if, if that's the case something broke and and you know we have a, a probably a severe recession and and more banks failing so you know I, I think that overall the, the Fed will probably move as inflation moves lower um, but those cuts will be much more limited so you know I think the the overall market is pricing in 150 basis points of cut. And, you know, obviously rates have rallied significantly just here in the last uh, month or so, but I think that's limited. And, you know, I don't think we're going back anywhere close to a zero rate interest rate regime. And, um, you know, we're, we're just going to have to deal with it. I mean, a 4% tenure is not that high. In fact, historically, it's on the low side. So, you know, it, it, I don't know where we settle in, um, but but I don't think, uh, I'm not expecting much lower rates than than where they are today.
0: I would tend to agree. Um, So, and then I want to move on to kind of, let's talk a little bit about what the distressed market is looking like. We have office landlords have come under pressure as borrowing costs have risen and prices plunge. Uh, credits also dried up, with many banks and non-bank lenders cutting back on extending new loans to offices because of rising va- vacancies and uh, uncertain demand. So, what what is this uh, market looking like right now? The distressed market.
2: It's just starting, um, from my opinion. You know, we are now hitting kind of this wall of maturity. You touched on it. There's over two trillion, uh, well over two trillion of debt. Coming due between now and uh, the end of 2028, and that's going to provide a lot of opportunities um, because expense, you know, capital is more expensive. Um, but for the right, for the right um, assets, basically, you know, I think higher quality assets are going to be on sale and, and going to provide a lot of opportunities. Um, and regardless of the sector, um, I think office is still very difficult. It's a bad word right now in a lot of places. Um, not to say that you can't, you know, make money in that sector, but I think that, um, you know, the hospitality sector while well, bifurcated in the sense that, you know, leisure versus business travel, um, you know, leisure is doing extremely well, you know, through pre-COVID numbers in most places, um, you're going to be able to sit here and, and kind of pick through the 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 debris, basically, and and, and put money to work at, at levels that are attractive um, from a risk reward perspective. So. Uh, For us, you know, I I think hospitality is a really interesting market. Um, You know, I still think that office probably has a ways to fall. um, But, you know, we just think that broadly uh, across all sectors of commercial real estate, there's going to be a tremendous opportunity.
0: And I wanted to talk about two cities in particular. First, New York. Blackstone just defaulted in a New York loan for a sale at like a 50% discount. So, you know, what's going on in that market right now?
2: Yes. I mean, that the, the, what was it 1740 Broadway? Um, you know, that the debt there is, uh, I believe the headline was debt is being marketed at a 50% discount. Um, you know, that's one of those buildings, an older building. It's definitely kind of falls into the camp of the have nots in the office world. and And, you know, Blackstone is a, savvy borrower. And what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, you see it on, <laughs> you see it on, you know, X all the time is that CMBS market is non-recourse lending. So, you know, you see headlines or you see people comment on like, how does Blackstone not pay their mortgage? Well, in reality, um, they're, they're savvy borrowers and, and and their debt is non-recourse, meaning that, you know, if, if they believe they have no equity left, which is clearly the case with this loan and a lot of other loans out there in lower quality office in New York, um, they are just going to hand the keys back. Um, and the CMBS uh, trust will have to liquidate the property and that's what's going on now. So you're gonna see a lot of that um, special services in the CMBS market are the ones who liquidate these assets and, and they're gonna be a, about as busy as you can get um, for the next few years here as we work out because you have a lot of these CMBS loans that were done at the top of the market that were done pre-COVID before this whole idea of hybrid work or work from home. And, you know, th- th- those the values of those buildings have dropped significantly. Um, so you know, that's what's going on in New York. You're seeing it as Lonnie said, you're seeing it in Chicago, you're seeing it in LA, you're seeing it in San Francisco. Um, this is just, you know, I think this is the beginning of of, of some of those defaults. And you're gonna see more of these headlines as we go through this um this kind of situation.
0: And then since so you brought up Chicago, since I from chicago um i thought it was interesting that i saw that se- well seven out of the ten largest deals in 2023 were multi-family uh building so do you think this is you know is this one sector that is looking well across the nation or is it just particular to this market
2: i mean chicago in general i mean i think that the, the, the- the area of distress that everyone is talking about in Chicago is clearly office. Um, you know, I don't think it's too dissimilar um, than other, you know, gateway cities, but uh, there's pockets, right. You're seeing a lot of transactions in the multifamily space. Um, you know, it's, it's very specific to kind of area code or zip code. Um, but Chicago in general, I think it, it is a city that's, it, it's, you know, it, the struggles will be there for a while. Um, I think that, their older building stock and kind of the lower quality assets like we were talking about earlier. Um, I don't know if those will bounce back, but, you know, for multifamily, I think it's more of a cyclical issue versus a secular issue where, you know, we're going through a, a difficult time and, and and maybe some of these buildings were overvalued or over levered. Um, but, you know, once we find a clearing level, I, you know, I'm very optimistic on, on, on certain pockets of the multifamily in that area. And uh, Lonnie
0: touched on this before, but what are your feelings on converting to converting offices to multifamily?
2: <laughs> um, it, it's a great headline, but you know, just like Amazon's not wasn't going to buy all the uh, BNC regional malls, uh, converting office to multi uh, to multifamily just isn't realistic. Um, it's again great headline, but you know, realistically, it's going to be a very very small percentage. Um, so it's really not going to make a dent in the. Um, kind of the market today.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And back to Lonnie. Um, There is about 14% of all commercial real estate loans and 44% of loans in office buildings appear to be in negative equity, meaning the debt's now greater than the property value. This is from the National Bureau of Economic Research. Again, is this bad? How worrisome is this? And can they just sit? On these bad loans until property values reignite.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the interesting question right now is how long can banks hold these loans where the property value has you know gone below the the debt amount? And you know, I think it's we've seen a lot of parallels drawn in the last couple of months around this extend and pretend theory, which was successful coming out of the Great Financial Crisis, where effectively. You know, lenders would either create a, a split note or they would work with borrowers and extend the loan past the maturity date um, in, in hopes of being able to resurrect the value of the property and refinance at a better time and place. And that worked during that cycle because interest rates were actually going down and were more favorable for both the valuation of the building, cap rates were compressing, cost of capital was less. And so extend and pretend was was actually really successful for those that implemented that coming out of the gfc i think the challenge now is that we're we're seeing the opposite play out where a lot of these loans as dan mentioned were financed two three five seven years ago when coupons on those deals were in the three to four range and even if the fed cuts rates you know four or five six times this upcoming year those office loans are going to be refinancing into a much higher interest rate environment so The negative um, impact of that is the opposite of what we saw with the extend and pretend before so unfortunately for some of these offices the value today is probably the best value you're going to get if you're the lender i mean like time is not on your side for functionally obsolete non-viable class b and c offices uh i i'm of the opinion that the longer they delay taking action on these the more value erosion you're going to see um and I understand their perspective, like no one wants to be the lender or the bank or, you know, that that effectively takes the first stab and says, we're going to we're going to sell off, we're going to mark the portfolio to market. Um, But really, the first loss is the best loss. And I think at some point, people are going to have to realize that capitulation is here, and they're going to have to just accept, accept the values as they are from the market's perspective. And what kind of policy
0: measures are being considered right now to kind of address the challenges faced by this market?
1: i mean there's a lot of discussions there are a lot of people in washington kind of talking through how to best deal with some of these challenges i i think dan made an interesting point in the sense that one of the nuances to this downturn is it's very institutional and so in previous downturns the first people that saw losses or the first people that were negatively impacted were the mom and pop owners or the the store operators and retail centers because uh, consumer sentiment has shifted and spending had stopped. We haven't really seen that t- at least to this point in the cycle. I mean, consumer spending is still very strong. Retailers generally are doing really well. This is kind of isolated to this the top tier really large institutional office owners, and they're very savvy in what their remedies are. And so what we've seen is we've seen top tier owners, you know, default on properties, make strategic bets. But at the same time, they're also announcing large distressed debt funds and capital raises to purchase distressed assets. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic where you have one really large segment of the CRE universe that's, that's definitely struggling worse than it has probably in the last, you know, 50 years, if not, you know, longer. Um, but at the same time, people are viewing this potentially as an opportunity to buy assets at a much reduced basis and revitalize them. So it'll be interesting to see how that push-pull works in in reality. I think, as, as Dan mentioned, a lot of these, if you can get them at the right price in some of these markets, I mean, like you're talking about LA, San Francisco, Chicago, New York. I mean, for the last 50 years, if you're an institutional buyer, those were the only markets you were looking for assets in. If you can buy assets in those markets at 25 cents on the dollar or 40 cents on the dollar, while in the short term, they're going to be cash intensive, management intensive. I'm probably taking the long on that, that those markets over time are going to come back and and be the gateway markets that they were before. Maybe office, obviously office is going to change. The format of offices are going to change. We're starting to see some of that with kind of the hotel um, office conversion where you're you're still operating it as an office, but you're adding hotel type of amenities and it, it feels much different than a traditional office. Uh, so I think what we'll see is, Uh, not a conversion to residential, but you're almost going to see like branding of offices and kind of reconstructing them in a way that's much more conducive for hybrid or co-working or um, an experiential type of feel versus just a a traditional 14,000 or 20,000 foot floor plate that has cubicles spread across the floor.
0: Like a WeWork kind of thing? (laughs)
1: I don't know necessarily like we work in the, in the least structure, right. But in maybe the layout and the format where it's just much more inviting for people to come there. Like I I think Dan mentioned, like, you know, I was of the belief, you know, uh, a year ago, if you had asked me that if we had gone into a recession, that that probably gets people back to the office at a pace and scale that maybe salvages some of the office market. I think at this point though, um, I'm probably of a different opinion that it, it, even a recession probably doesn't change people's behavior and habits enough to get the office sector revitalized. So I do think like, we've seen this with retail, the, the, the you know, headline for them is that they're all wanting experiential retail. And I think you're gonna see experiential office where there's a reason to come there beyond just the work. And for people that can figure that out and, and produce a product that is attractive for people to come to outside of just having to be there for their eight to five, I think you're going to see some winners coming out of that.
0: So there's some ideas for you entrepreneurs out there. Um, Obviously, I don't want this whole space to be, you know, totally gloomy and focused just on, on office. So, you know, where do you see opportunities in this market? And, you know, are there some locations looking better than or more promising than others and that kind of are outshining?
1: Yeah, so I think and I think it's a, that's a good segue, Tracy, in the sense that, look, the headlines get, the doom and gloom headlines get all the, the pub, they get all the clicks, they get everything. But in reality, the sector has proven to be very resilient. I mean, I mentioned the office delinquency rate was around 5.8%. But if you look at overall delinquency across all property sectors in December, it was at 4.5%. Um, so there's a lot of good news in the market. I mean, retail properties, on the whole, are outperforming historical norms. Leasing velocity is off the charts in most markets. Rent, rental rate growth is uh, significant. Occupancies are at all-time highs. Um, there's new residential strip center developments in a lot of major markets. I think Miami, as an example, is you know there's more construction cranes in Miami than there are anything else. It's it's interesting. I think they're going to change the state bird to the construction crane, um, and so it's it's on fire. Dallas Fort Worth, similar. I mean, there's construction cranes, there's activity, there's even some offices being built in Dallas, so it's it's doing really really well. So I think if you go through the markets, you look at some of the Carolina markets, um, done really really well. I think there's there's a lot of positive, um, you know, pockets within the distress where there's still development, there's still activity, there's still um, leases being signed every day, there's still properties being sold. Multifamily is another one. Um, you know, there are some, some distress in the Sun Belt and some of the floating rate uh, loans that Dan mentioned, but on the whole, um, we've delivered more multifamily units in the last five years and I think we have any other five-year period. And if you look at the absorption of those units relative to rent growth um, and stabilized operations, like they've all been absorbed with a nominal uh, dip in terms of, of negative impact for the sector. I mean, occupancies have remained strong. We're starting to see a little bit of retrenchment on the rent side, but that's coming on the back of you know four or five years of double-digit type of, of rent growth. So um, I'm optimistic about the sector. I think there's definitely going to be distress. We talked about that earlier. There's no getting away from that. But on the whole, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in this market. And I think sentiment will shift uh, in 24 and 25, and we're going to start to see you know, some forced transactions and people being able to be opportunistic and, and buy assets and reposition them.
0: And do you think that multifamily is doing so well because the residential retail just doesn't have enough property, it does not have enough inventory out there right now?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um One thing I don't think the Fed truly understood heading into the rate hike cycle was the negligible impact it would have on the single family residential market. And what I mean by that is, depending on what source you look at, um, residential fixed rate mortgages, about 80 to 90 percent of fixed rate mortgages are sub four percent. And that's fixed for 15, 20 or 30 years, depending on the term. I think if you look at 30 years, about 90 percent of those loans are fixed at sub four percent. So when they raised rates really aggressively, all that did was cement people staying in their existing mortgage and not trading out into another home. And so the negative byproduct of that was that when rates went up, which should by definition uh, decrease demand and decrease um, values, it almost had the opposite effect where it decreased supply so significantly that you still saw price appreciation in almost every major residential market across the U.S., and so you have significantly less homes hitting the market. Those homes that are hitting the market, even in a crazy interest rate environment, are selling for higher prices than they did previously, which has created this chasm of unaffordability for first-time buyers in particular. Now, the benefit of of that for the residential sector on the multifamily side is that if you can't afford to buy, you rent, and if you can rent a really nice, high-end, class-A multifamily property for you know, a fairly reasonable amount. Um, you're going to do that, and so they've been the benefactor of of the rate hike in the sense that occupancies for multifamily have have maintained a really strong presence. And you know, it's I, I think it's going to be sustained. I mean, that's the reality. Rent growth will abate some. Some of these 1970s, 80s, 90s vintage multifamily that were midstream in a reposition. They're probably gonna struggle some because they underwrote rent growth to be twelve percent a year and they're maybe gonna achieve three percent per year. There's also been a lot of expense inflation over the last couple of years, specifically in multifamily related to insurance, property taxes, repairs and maintenance personnel, et cetera. So there's not, you know, there's there's some headwinds, but generally speaking, the tailwinds are are much more in their favor, and I think sets the the asset class up for continued success.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Now, uh, back to Daniel. Um, Do you think that or could rising delinquencies and defaults in the sector restrict lending and kind of trigger a vicious cycle of tighter funding conditions, falling commercial property prices and losses for financial intermediaries with kind of an adverse spillover to the rest of the economy? Or do you think this is kind of under control?
2: I don't know if I'd I'd say either in the sense that you know I, I'm of I do think delinquencies are going to rise and I think there's going to be you know some significant pain in pockets of the sec uh, of of commercial real estate, but overall I, I you know I don't believe this is some systematic issue that you know it's going to bring down uh, you know all, all the banks and and you know the funding will go to zero. I think there's a lot of people. On the sidelines, that are you know willing to deploy capital, whether it's on the debt side or the equity side, and and are excited about the opportunity, um, which is great. You know, you, you hear dry powder and, and, and this and that, and you know, I do think that it's real. I, I think that there's plenty of people that have interest in the sector. I just think that the money itself will be coming from you know a broader investor base, and you know, will go away from or at least from a percentage basis you know the regional banks and maybe even some of the larger banks um and go more into um you know, just these private equity style vehicles that that are looking to lend um so yeah i mean it's kind of i'm kind of in the middle i don't think there's some broad systematic issue that's going to bring everything down but i but i do think that capital will be more expensive um specifically for office obviously because it's become such a bad word Um, But I think there's plenty of people out there that that are excited about the opportunity and and are willing to kind of fill the gaps that maybe the banks um, will avoid um, as they deal with their own legacy issues.
0: And then this kind of the same question that I had for Lonnie, you know, where do you see bright spots in this market or opportunity in this market? Because I don't want it to all be gloomy.
1: (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, no, I think I think multifamily, I agree, money is, is, is a tremendous, uh, you know, part of the market. You know, we're we're going to get through this, and and you know, it, it's astounding to just the number of units that have been supplied, as he said, over the last five years, and I think twenty twenty four is going to be the biggest year ever, um, but. You know, multifamily is a really good, um, sector that we're looking at. And we like a lot, um, you know, hospitality is just doing tremendously well, as Lonnie said in retail, you know, you, all you do, you hear about, you know, the rise of e-commerce and, and clearly it's, it's definitely hurt the lower quality assets in the retail world, but, you know, strip centers are doing great. And, and, you know, commercial real estate as a whole, um, I think there are a lot of bright spots where you can put, you know, put capital to work. Um, especially if you're getting, you know, a modest repricing, whether that be due to interest rates or just uh, stress in the sector.
0: And uh, what, um, you know, what's the
2: REIT market looking like right now?
0: I know a lot of people are interested in that side of the market.
2: I, I, so I'm a CMBS person. I'm not, uh, you know, obviously we follow the REIT market in general. And you, you had a, a very strong uh, kind of rally off the bottom. You you heard all these you know gloomy headlines last year about the SL greens of the world um, and, and you know all, all sorts of you know just awful headlines it looked like you know Vernada was trading at I, th- I think the lowest price since they were they went public about 25 30 years ago but you know overall i think we got over our skis and, and you know the headlines were worse than it actually was and you know probably a lot of smart money picked up a lot of bargains last year uh, but going forward, you know, it, it's definitely not my specialty. We're, we're just CMBS uh, investors. And, you know, I think as a whole, you know, the opportunistic money uh, that to be made in the CNBS sector, it's going to be a fascinating time for the next couple of years. Um, you know, like I said earlier, debt has become a lot more expensive. And, and you know, for investors like us, that that's a, that's a great thing.
0: And then what are you particularly focused right now on, on this sector? What do you, what are you guys looking at? I mean, you don't have to, you know, give any.
2: (laughs) No, no. Yeah. No, no. Overall, you know, what excites us in the CMBS market is, is while we're, we're we're confident there will be impairments on certain loans and losses will be taken. um, I think that the bigger part of the universe in, in stressed CMBS, it's more about a timing issue. Um, I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of loans come up to maturity in the next few years, as we discussed, and you're going to see a lot of those loans get extended. Um, And for us, you know, specific to CMBS market, know there's only one thing that benefits from extensions and that's interest only securities which are just basically what you can think of is these are these securities that pay interest they don't pay principal and as loans extend these things extend so you're able to clip more cash flow over the life of your security um so for us while we're looking at that sector and we think that's the most interesting sector in cmbs today um we're also when we look at the credit bonds out there you know while some of these bonds are, are modeled to be maturing in the next couple years in reality, I think a lot of these things will extend, which obviously hurts a bond investor. If you think you're getting your money back in two years and you don't get it back for three or four, um, so it's good and bad. Um, but I think that that's the hardest thing to do in the debt market today. When we look at CNBS is that you know trying to figure out you know when these things will actually mature or if you know. I mean, clearly there will be losses, but um, the one thing we know on the CNBS market is. Um, Special services are incentivized to give extensions if you think you have equity left in your deal. So there's going to be a tremendous amount of extensions. And I think that that's, if you're looking at the CNBS market, that is going to be kind of number one on your radar.
0: Aside from from office, is there any area that we should also be kind of wary of right now?
2: you know, one, one sector that, that you know, touched on hospitality and, and overall optimistic there and like the sector, but, you know, some of these lower quality kind of smaller hotels that cater to business travel throughout the United States, I, I'm really worried about them because obviously business travel is down, um, but Lonnie touched on expenses and I think he touched on expenses more so on the multifamily side, but, you know, it, it's become... You're just seeing it. You're seeing expenses explode for some of these property types, and unfortunately, you know they're not getting the revenue to to match their added expenses. So that's one area we definitely have an eye on. We think that you know there will be some stress in pockets there, um, but you know you look at the other side of the coin and you look at the the, the leisure hotels, and they're just doing amazing, and, and we think that will continue also.
0: That's good to know. Uh, Lonnie, did you have any comments
1: on any of what Dan said? Yeah, two things. One, I'll just to add some some context to the loan modification or extension uh, topic that Dan was mentioning. There was about $7 billion worth of loan modifications in the CMBS market in 2023, um, which is a pretty sizable number. Um, And the interesting takeaway there is of that that population, about 70%, 69, 70% of those modifications or extensions were for 24 months or less. So I think that begs the question, like, do we really think the market's going to be significantly better in in the next 24 months from a refinance position? Like, are interest rates going to be lower? Are value is going to be higher in the next 24 months? I would probably suggest at this point, no, based on the data that we see. Um, And so I think that starts to create some of that interesting framework where you have loans that have already been extended once, you know, if they come up on that again, like that's where there's going to be some real distress opportunity. And I think, as Dan mentioned, we're going to see more of those modifications, extensions, et cetera, in 2024, particularly in the office sector. Um, The other thing that he talked about was the expense side. Um, And that's real. That's not, it's, I was referring mostly to multifamily before. Um, but that's, it's pretty much widespread across all asset classes. And just to give some context to that, we had done an analysis on multifamily loans, looking at uh, trailing 12-month NOI, you know, from revenue down to NOI um, analysis um, in 2021 to 2022. And as an example, insurance as a line item, uh, saw the average insurance expense for like Miami was, you know, 30%, was 28% if we run that same analysis in 22 to 23, I would expect that number to be 60%. Um, we're hearing re- reports of people seeing triple digit insurance um, expenses uh, going up, you know, doubling or more. And it's not just the coastal, you know, cities of Miami and Louisiana, um, you know, New Orleans, etc. We're seeing this in Atlanta. We're seeing this in Dallas, Fort Worth. We're seeing this in, in other non-coastal areas. So I think that's something that's not getting enough headline and enough discussion points. A lot of insurers have also started pulling out of certain markets. So you have a a really old system that's in place with a very limited number of providers. And when some of those providers start pulling out of those markets, it's going to create some real challenge for the CRE universe. So you had asked earlier about uh, legislation. Um, I could see something in the next two to three years where we have, some federal intervention or some legislation as it pertains to insurance coverage across the CRA universe, because I think in, in a lot of areas it's becoming that big of a, of a challenge for people. Maybe not today, but to me, the writing is on the wall there.
0: So, how much is that or projected to cut into sort of your the, the bottom line you know, as a cost line item?
1: Yeah, so insurance traditionally has been a fairly negligible expense. But if you look at insurance property taxes now, in some instances, it might be 50% of your operating expenses. Um, And then you start talking about just the inflationary pressure that you're seeing with personnel, some of the supply chain disruptions that have finally kind of worked themselves through the system on repairs and maintenance, tenant improvements, those type of things. Um, Expense creep is real. I think that's something that people underestimate that are not, you know, in the business daily is that top line revenue headlines, you know, this market saw 12% rent growth over the last quarter or last year. That doesn't translate into 12% NOI growth. And in some areas, the expenses have actually outpaced the rent growth. So, um, you know, your 12% rent growth may actually only be a 4% bottom line um, value add at the NOI line. And so um, expenses are definitely being thought through much more proactively. I think from an underwriting perspective on the lender perspective, they're much more cognizant of the inflationary pressure of expenses. Um, And so I think we're gonna see a slight shift. I mean, people are not gonna look at historical expense rates and project that forward on a five-year hold. They're gonna be much more diligent in looking at real-time data relative to expenses and trying to project what they think realistic growth rates are compared to maybe traditional five or 10-year historical norms.
0: Yeah, Dan, do you, do you have any comments on that or do you have the same concern?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, you're seeing it, you know, expense creep is is, is real and, and it's here. Lonnie, I was at a question about the, touched on the, uh, the data from Miami. How much is roughly like insurance rates up in over the last two years? I mean, because that's what, those are the things that scare me. As, as people come up for renewal, and, and you all of a sudden you realize that you know you've got a big issue on your hands from the insurance side.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the the study we did, Miami was at twenty eight percent year over year from uh, twenty one to twenty two, and I'm confident the the twenty two to twenty three data is going to suggest that it's probably twice that. Um, so if you just start looking at that on a compound basis, I mean, it's it's measurable. It's it's significant. So I was actually down in Miami two weeks ago, um, I was at the CREF-C conference beginning of January and then stayed and did an event uh, with the CCIM group there. And I can't tell you the number of owner operators that I talked with that said insurance is a huge problem. Like it's it's now making it where refinancing is difficult. And on the acquisition side, you don't know what to project or underwrite. And so it's, uh, and then the other challenge is the carriers are actually underwriting less coverage into their new policies so it's kind of a double whammy where you're seeing significant increases in you know policy price premiums but you're actually getting less coverage than you did on your previous policy and so um, you know a lot of these funds are trying to figure out ways to have catastrophic coverage and then maybe self-insure they're trying to cost share there's a lot of thought going into how to best you know combat the challenges the the problem is just it's a super old industry Lenders are not inclined to like look at a bunch of creative ways to insure the collateral that backs their loan. So it's it's something that I think is probably going to have broader legislative. And, you know, you're going to see a lot more political activity around people trying to get awareness uh, raised around this, this topic.
0: And what can have caused this onset of skyrocketing insurance rates all of a sudden?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. If you just look at the number of catastrophic events, mostly weather related, over the last five years, it just jumps off the page. And you couple that with the cost to reconstruct, which is in some cases three x what it was five years ago. Um, those are two, you know, significant negatives for the industry. So you have significantly more hurricanes, wildfires, other type of climate related challenges that are that are impacting the space. Um, you have markets like I was in New York a couple months ago and we had a really bad rainstorm and the brand new terminal LaGuardia flooded, uh, midtown flooded. Like there's, there's areas that you wouldn't expect to like flood with a, a really hard downpour for three hours that now you're seeing on the news cars being underwater. And all of those things require people to file claims and then the insurers to pay out. And so it's, it's almost like, it's not one particular thing. it's kind of an aggregation of multiple things all in that sector. And I've saw several headlines in the last two weeks. If you look at just overall insurance premiums, it's not just limited to CRE, but auto insurance premiums are up significantly, uh, high double digits if you look at homeowners policies up significantly. So I think the burden that's being borne through the CRE market is is obviously having uh, you know downward pressure um, across the other lines of, of insurance as well.
0: And with that, we're coming up on the hour. So the last question is the same question for both of you is you can talk about something that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you think is very important that we should talk about and, or, you know, what should we, you know, as investors really be looking at, at this market for say the next 12 to 24 months. And I'll start with Daniel.
2: For us, you know the the next twelve to twenty four months is going to be a you know pivotal uh, period for the cRE markets. Um, as all these loans come and roll, um there's going to be opportunities and and you know I think that um, you know that's what gets us so excited about where we are in the cycle. It's you know commercial real estate overall is generally cyclical. Um, and we go through these periods of time where there's opportunity, but obviously we're we're challenged with a few different other things outside of just the cyclicality of it. Um, so you, you know you have the the office um, shift. You have, as Lonnie said, interest rates are actually in this market. If we do have a downturn, interest rates will most likely not be significantly lower. So um, all those things get us excited about you know pricing risk and, and risk reward, and 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 then finally you know after a very long period of time where kind of the Fed had suppressed rates at zero and QE and everything else, um, where risk, in my opinion, wasn't priced appropriately. Um, but now we're coming through a period of time where I, I think that, you know, you have to be thoughtful about risk. And, and you know, I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of opportunities there in the next two years. So that's what we're looking forward to. Um, you know, it, it's become I think credit in general has become a sexier market um, for the longest time. You know, investors were so focused on the equity side of the world, but um, with rates rising and stress in the market, um, I think, you know, CMBS and, and CMBS credit perspective, uh, respectively will be a fascinating place to be.
0: And then Lonnie, same question. Talk about something you that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you think is important and or what should we be really focused on over the next 12 to 24
1: months? Yeah, so um, wanna, again, I just want to thank you for letting me be on today, Tracy. And It's always good to do stuff with Dan. Um, I think that sometimes what gets lost in translation or in the headlines is that by definition, real estate is a local and sometimes hypo, hyper-local endeavor. So, things that get painted in a broad brush through headlines or whatever nationally don't necessarily and in most cases don't accurately represent what's happening in your local market or your local submarket, et cetera. So everything Dan said I think is true. I would just say there's opportunities in every market I mean over the last you know five years we were in zero interest rate and things were going to the moon, and cap rates you know on multifamily was sub- th- three in some really hot markets on trailing twelve month n o i people were still making deals. And in a higher interest rate environment, which if you look at, honestly, from a historical perspective is not outside of the norm. Like we're kind of in what we would call like a, an equilibrium state of rates relative to the last you know 75 years or so. There's gonna be a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of inexperienced operators that bought properties at the top of the market. And unfortunately for them, those properties are gonna be sold at a significant discount. And so I would just say like, don't get discouraged in the sense that yeah there's some headwinds yes there's some systemic challenges to the office sector et cetera. but within those challenges create a lot of opportunity and i think if you look at real estate over you know any sort of, of realistic time horizon in 5 10 20 years uh, the risk adjusted returns on this sector are really tough to beat in, in several other markets or, or asset classes and so i would just kind of close in saying there's a lot of doom and gloom. The headlines are negative. It's obvious why it gets a lot of clicks and it gets a lot of people talking. Uh, but I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunity in 24. We haven't seen a shutdown in capital flows. There's still been loans being made. There's still transactions taking place. There's more sophisticated capital on the sidelines for this disruption. So I think we could be sitting here in the next 24 to 36 months and with the exception of office, actually talking about things, You know, looking up across the, the other sectors.
0: Beautiful. And that was a great positive note to end on. Again, thank you gentlemen for your time today. I know your time is valuable. I really appreciate it. I know the audience really appreciates it. And I want to thank everybody for attending. And with that, uh, I guess I'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thank you again.
1: Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Bye-bye.